Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. Here again, just a small section of our reading today from Ephesians 4. It says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So far our text. When I was in college, the university was involved with a charity group that built wells in remote areas in Africa. And the water situation there is very different from what it is here. Here, we turn on the tap, we get water, and we at least assume that that water is relatively clean, not filled with pathogens, that sort of stuff. There, it's very different. In many parts of remote Africa, the burden of gathering water is overwhelming. It usually falls to the women and the children in the smaller villages, and they would have to walk several miles every day, or sometimes twice a day, carrying a five-gallon jerry can of water. They would come to a small creek or river that would be shared as a water source for the livestock, which you can imagine what livestock do to a source of water. It would serve as the waste disposal for all of the villages upstream from there, and it was often likely inhabited by crocodiles. They would fill their jerry cans and they would begin their long journey home, carrying that burden of heavy water. And the water would be used for everything, drinking, cooking, washing, and every other function of life that requires something as necessary as water. And the water they would drink would often bring illness and parasites so that people could die from drinking it. It was dangerous to drink the water, but many believed that they had no other choice. That's all there is, and so they accepted it. Now, can you imagine, as that was the situation in your life, the only thing that you ever knew, the joy and relief that comes to a village when this group comes and puts in a well. Instead of walking miles to obtain water that could very possibly poison and kill them, they would walk to the center of their small town and with a few pumps of their hands have clean, fresh water. No more walking miles with a jerry can. No more wondering if satisfying your thirst was going to kill you or one of your loved ones. The children were free to go to school. The, the women were free to pursue other aspects of the home life. I remember hearing a story about a well that was put into a village where an old woman began to praise God and weep as she cried aloud, You mean that all of these years... There was clean water right here under my feet. I would have never believed it if you told it to me. You see, they were doing something that was killing them for so long that it was common for them. They didn't know of anything else. And when they received their new well, it was almost unbelievable that they could be freed from their old manner of living. They could not imagine life without the daily trek to that dirty watering hole. This really illustrates 
what St. Paul is talking about today with the Ephesians. The Christians in Ephesus had their former manner of life. And they usually fit into one of two categories. They were either Jews of the diaspora living in Ephesus, or they were Gentiles. And that means that if they were Jews, that they were either held captive by the law so that their whole life was consumed with the futile efforts to fulfill the commandments of Moses. And this drove many towards Pharisaic legalism or lovelessness or pride. Or it meant that they were participating in the pagan worship in Ephesus in the temple of Artemis, which was the worship of demons. This often led to lawlessness and perversion of every sort as the devil loves to make a mockery of God and his righteousness. Either way, their former manner of life was killing them spiritually. And not because of their fallen religion, but because they themselves were fallen. They had the old self that was captive to their old sinful nature. And so instead of truth, they were devoted to lies. Man's anger would drive man to deeper sins, old resentments, and it grew in wrath and anger and fights and violence, theft and usury, extortion and cheating were common. The language was so corrupted and perverted so that the words that people spoke were totally destructive and meaningless. Now, hold on. Perhaps this isn't just a description of Ephesus. Uncontrolled anger, crude language, perverse lifestyles, dishonest gain, false religion. Well, hey, that can all be a description of the world that we live in too, isn't it? Our lives are often so consumed with many of these things that we can't imagine living outside of them. And this list that St. Paul gives in Ephesians 4, as he talks about all the things that the, that the Ephesians should abandon, should flee from, it's not exhaustive. There, there are many evils that are practiced under the sun, as our old Adam loves all of them. Sometimes these evil things can become so common that we don't even notice them or the effect that they have in our lives, and we can't imagine life without them. And this is especially true with sin. We all have that sinful flesh. We all have sins that flow out of us. Occasionally, we get used to them. We grow nose blind to the stench of it all as we think about what this stuff produces in our lives. And it could be anything. Paul used that example of foul language. And, and as we think about how that develops in our lives, it starts with hearing a few swear words spoken here and there or TV or by an adult or somebody around us. And uh, as we think about that, that, that swear word is repeated. And then over time, a person can't get through a single sentence without using some sort of profanity as it pours forth from their lips. A person can imagine or even has a distaste for clean language. As they go throughout life and they hear somebody not swearing, they get frustrated with that person, holier than thou. See, you can apply the same sort of thing to maybe alcohol, or gluttony, or lying, or sexual perversion, or just about any other sin as we, we grow nose blind. We get used to it. Then we can't imagine life without it. And from self-righteousness to disdain of righteousness, these things can ruin our lives. And the problem arises when we have failed to realize that these things are destructive. What we say, what we do, 
how we think, what we look at, what we consume, either media or otherwise, all have an effect on our hearts and our minds. And it's like drinking tainted and fouled water. Once it's inside of you, internal rot sets in. And they can relatively quickly alter the way you think. They can alter what you believe. They can destroy relationships. They can hurt others. They destroy our bodies. And most horribly, they can drive us away from God through stubborn impenitence. And sadly, so many people cannot imagine their lives apart from the sins they cherish. And so it's like returning to the filthy creek and drinking deeply the water that will kill us for the wages of sin is death. Sin destroys everything it touches. And that's what makes the gospel so wonderful. As we think about how we have been freed from our sins, we who were once captivated by sin, well, we're no longer bound to it. Just like the woman who no longer had to walk miles every day to fetch water that might kill her, we are no longer bound to the sin that kills us. We're free, as St. Paul says today, to put off our old self. And why? Because we're given a new self. We're made into new creations in Christ. And as we daily fail to fulfill the righteousness of God, we see that Jesus doesn't. Jesus keeps the righteous requirement of the law for us. Jesus fulfills all goodness for us. And by sending his own son, God saves us. That's what we see in Romans 8. It says, for God has done what the law, weakened by our flesh, could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to our old flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, Jesus does what we failed to do. He frees us from sin. He's not enslaved by those sinful passions that destroy us. He's faithful in every way. And having fulfilled all righteousness, he gives himself over to death for sinners. For Christ suffered also once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. See, the righteous work of Christ, the goodness of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus is given to you as a gift. And we're free to receive free peace with God and pardon for our sins by faith in Jesus. That is freedom. To be free is to have your sins forgiven by Jesus. To be free means that our sins don't hold us captive to destruction and death any longer. Those filthy habits, those destructive parts that dwell within our hearts, those things that we were once ignorant of, we don't belong to them. They don't own you because you belong to Jesus. And you are covered in Jesus. Through baptism into Christ, our entire lives are covered in the rich mercy, the perfection, and the holiness of Jesus Christ. As the scripture says, for as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ, you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus by faith in Christ. And so what does that mean? 
What does it mean to put on Christ? Well, it means that our former sinful nature is covered in the righteousness of Jesus alone. What we once were and who we are now are not the same thing. That means that we wake up in the morning, not as lost, condemned persons destined for hell, but as forgiven sinners. And we go about our day as forgiven sinners. We go to bed at night as forgiven sinners. And the rest and the sleep that we have as we close our eyes and wake up every morning happens as forgiven sinners. Because God has declared you righteousness, he has justified you, you can totally believe and confess that you are a saint of God, that you are holy, that you are not a lost and condemned person. And on the same note, you know that those old sinful passions, those remnants of your own self, your old self, well, they rear their ugly head. As we daily fall into sin, those, those old remnants of our sinful flesh get to work. And the proverb rings true as we think about how we live. It says, like a dog that returns to his old vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And so very often as we've been given this fount of life, as we've been provided with the righteousness of Jesus, as we are covered head to toe in forgiveness, we return to the filthy water and we drink in dregs that stuff that we once knew would kill us. And this is why St. Paul tells the Ephesians, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And what does that mean? How are we declared righteous by God through the death and resurrection of Jesus? We who have been given that gift to deal with the stubborn and recurring sins that exist in our lives. How are we to reconcile these two realities that I am a saint of God, but also a fallen sinner who struggles every day? Well, we have the wellspring of the life-giving gospel that has made us holy. Yet we continually drink in the corruption of sin in this fallen world. St. Paul certainly struggles with this. He says in Romans 7, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very things I hate. And now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So no longer it's I who do it, but that sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, wretched man that I am. Well, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so then I myself serve the law of God in my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. See, Paul deals with this struggle. As he desires what is right, he's tasted the wellspring of Christ's righteousness, he's had the pure, life-giving gifts of Jesus, and yet what does the old sinful flesh want? It wants to drink in the mud. He desires what is good, but he fails. He hates what is evil, but he falls into it. And in his mind and his heart, he desires what is good, but he fails to carry it out. And how does he deal with this? How does he reconcile this apparent contradiction? 
He trusts in Jesus. He returns daily to Jesus. He lives in repentance. He lives by faith. And that means that as he sees his sin and has sorrow over what he's done, he trusts in the gospel of Christ. He believes that his Lord and God is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. And he knows this because he knows who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus is both willing and able to forgive his sins, and so he does. And that's why St. Paul follows his whole discourse of his struggle with his old self and his new self, his, his flesh and his spirit, with this apparent contradiction by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because faith drinks of the well of Christ's righteousness. That's what changes who we are. This is how sinners are made righteous. It is through daily contrition and repentance that Jesus draws us deeper and deeper into his grace. As we are called by the gospel to live in faith that Jesus is the God who takes our sins away, that faith is exercised as we live in our baptism. As we live under the cross of Jesus, we remember from the catechism what it means to be baptized. It says, Baptism indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition, sorrow over sin, and repentance, faith that Jesus forgives our sins, be drowned and die with all sin and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And so what do we think about when we think about our sins? Well, we remember that our sins are daily drowned out by the forgiveness of Christ. And that means that we often have this struggle within ourselves and that old person who wants to rear its ugly head is put to death. That old sinful flesh every day by the declaration of God is put to an end. And that's what it means to put on the new self. To remember that the old sinful flesh within us is dead and that we daily put on Christ. We trust in Jesus to cover our sins in his righteousness. The old sinner dies, the new self lives. That's every day as a Christian. What's behind us is the forgiveness of sins. What stands before us is the righteousness of Christ. You wake up in the morning, you're forgiven. You go to bed, you're forgiven. And this is exercised every day as we live by faith in Jesus. We remember who we are. We struggle against what we used to be. And as we fall short, we trust that Jesus completely covers and atones for how far we fall. Jesus covers us in his righteousness to be removed in our minds and to see this and to believe it. It is to call sin what it is. When I mess up, I say, I messed up. When I sin, I say, I'm a sinner. And it's hating those things that dwell in our lives that would draw us away from Jesus. It is to call sin what it is. It is to flee from it as it is. And it's to call those things that destroy our lives exactly what they are and despise what they work in us. But then it's to trust that the only answer to this is Jesus. That no amount of my own personal self-discipline, no amount of my own personal reasoning within myself, no amount of my own personal righteousness can remedy my sin, but Jesus can. And he does. 
He renews me. He remakes me. The only remedy for the evil and pain that these things work in my life is for Jesus to forgive me. And that means that the forgiveness of sins becomes the most precious thing in all of our lives. It is the treasure that we cannot part with. To be renewed in our minds is to love and to cherish the gospel of Christ more than any other thing. And that means that we run to the forgiveness of Jesus. We bow before the forgiveness of Jesus. We cling to the forgiveness of Jesus because that is the most precious gift we have. We see an example of this in our gospel lesson this morning. It shines through beautifully. We have a man who is paralyzed, being lowered from a ceiling by his friends to be set before Jesus. They cut a hole in the roof of the house where Jesus was preaching, and the hope was that Jesus would heal this man. What do you think the person who cannot walk wants more than anything in the world? To be able to walk. He wants Jesus to give him the ability to walk. Yet as this man is lowered down before Christ, that's not what happens right away. You see, instead, Jesus looks at this man and he says, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven you. And it's only after men question if Jesus had the authority to forgive sins that he commands this man to get up and walk. What's really truly amazing about this is that the paralyzed man doesn't like say, oh, rats. He doesn't say disappointment here. He doesn't say, um, Jesus, yes, um, thank you for the forgiveness, but I really want to know how to walk again. Can you give me that? Now, upon seeing Jesus, he's content with the forgiveness of sins. And actually, he's overjoyed at this gift. Not that it was unimportant that he would receive the ability to walk again. It certainly was. That's why Jesus gave it to him. But the true gift is that Jesus brought him freedom. That he provided him freedom from his old self. He made him into something new. And that's the gift that we live in as children of the gospel. We are no longer captive to our sins and the judgment that our sin brings upon us. We're made into something new and better. See, the paralyzed man became a child of God by faith. He was freed from the sin that plagued his heart. And that was more important than walking. It's of more value than the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, the clothes we wear. It's the forgiveness of sins. I pray that God would deprive me of all of these things before he deprives me of that gift. So what St. Paul is teaching us today has everything to do with a change of our heart. We are free from those things that we can't, could not imagine living without. We're free from those sinful desires that we couldn't think we could exist without in our lives. And we're given something new in our lives. And so as our former manner of life could not imagine living without sinful passion and our new life in Christ, we cannot imagine living outside of the gospel of forgiveness. We can't imagine living outside of the great love that has been put to work for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Those old things that we once cherished, they don't seem quite as important anymore as the new thing that Jesus has given us. And that's why so much of what God has given us in the church revolves around this. It revolves around 
the forgiveness of sins. Just think about what we do every Sunday morning. We confess our sins and receive absolution. That's the first thing. That's what we begin doing. We pray that Christ would have mercy on us. We remember who we are as baptized children of God. We eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus given and shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. We make a point to celebrate these gifts every time we gather. Why? Because that's what we need. That's what we treasure. That's what we love. It's forgiveness. We need the gospel of Jesus. And that is the wellspring of life that we value and cherish. That's what frees us from the power of sin and death. As the scriptures teach, it says, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, then the fruit you get leads to the sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what do we love? What do we cherish? What can we not live without? Well, it's not that old muddy water that poisons us. It's not the passions that belonged to our old manner of living and our old self. It's Jesus. We love and receive Jesus. We love and receive what Jesus gives. And in doing so, we put on the new self. We put on Christ. And in this promise, we continually return to receive what Christ has to give for us. We have our sins forgiven by Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to love what you give us in Christ. And in this, renew our minds. Remove, renew and reform our hearts so that we value the forgiveness of sins over and above any other thing. Help us to rejoice in this gift that frees us from the general consumption of evil. And help us to live by the Spirit so that we acknowledge our sin and we rejoice in our Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise.